Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. I am so excited because today is the 100th episode of the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Isn't that amazing? Oh my gosh. A huge thank you to our guests. They have shared their stories with you. They have shared their expertise, their heartaches, their dreams, everything and anything in between. I so appreciate each and every one of them. Coming up next, here are some clips from some of our guests. Enjoy as we celebrate 100 episodes of Cancer Youth Thrivers. I didn't know much. I didn't know anything about cancer other than old people got it. I didn't know anything about chemo. This is why I think what we do is so important. I didn't even know what questions to ask. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know if I should be afraid if I was going to need chemo or radiation or surgery. We didn't know much about melanoma. It was just tough to deal with a message, especially one that has the word terminal. It took me a couple of weeks to kind of just work through that. After it was just like dealing with my mortality. And I had to make a decision very quickly Do I make a very deliberate choice to live? The life that I knew about and the person that I knew about, they were all gone. And I wanted to rebuild a new life. And I didn't know how. And I felt so powerless. I was suicidal every week. I know it's hard to believe because I'm such a fun person, but I was. It was such a struggle throughout my life. Like you can watch a clear trajectory of my mental health declining. And it was coming out subconsciously through my writing, but I wasn't admitting it. Like anytime somebody asked me how I was doing, I was like, I'm fine. What do I have to be upset about? I'm alive. I also wanted to be seen as a normal person, a normal student who could take care of herself. I did not want to be seen as a burden. What I felt was like relief thinking to myself, I was right. Like that was like, One of my major first emotions, my second major emotion was, holy shit, I'm 35, I have a kid, one is two, one's five, like, I need to be alive for them. So how many specialists did you see? Six. They're all like, ah, you know, I don't know. Well, that makes me feel great. One of the doctors shocked me. He was like, well, we're just going to radiate your brain. I said, excuse me? My mother and my girlfriend were complaining to me, you have to get this little mole checked out. I couldn't even see it. And I told the guy, like at the end, almost flippantly, hey, just take this off and shut those, those two ladies up. And he called me two days later and said, I don't believe everything you read on the internet about melanoma. Everyone out there, uh, especially you young kids, always listen to your mother. Especially where I come from, ca- cancer is considered a death sentence. And so when I tell people that I had cancer, oh my God, so what did you do? And I tell them, I said, first of all, your mind is very important. Number one, we're stronger than we think we are. And number two is if we just have more love for people, 
Mm-hmm. We don't know what other people are going through. The people that are driving down the street and may cut you off, you don't know if they're on their way to a doctor's appointment about to change their life. And so I think the biggest thing is just being patient with yourself and being patient with others. Cancer is just the symptom. It's not the cause, which I knew that. I had to address what was the underlying root cause. So I basically started putting together a protocol and just went to work. I like to say about the brain that it's like real estate. You know, what matters is location, location, location. There can be tumors that hide out in a particular spot in the brain because in that particular location, it's less likely to cause symptoms. We don't see those patients until those tumors have grown quite a bit to where they might cause symptoms. There are places within the brain that are the information that is traveling there is very, very dense. And so even a very small tumor can cause quite dramatic symptoms that cause these tumors to become discovered early. Now, I went to my first appointment. They said benign. I said, not true. I went and had a second opinion. They said benign. I said, not true. I went to my third appointment. I felt like I had heartburn. And I said, why do I keep feeling like this? It was really weird. We finally had the head guy come in. They put the microscopic camera laser thing in my breast. And he looked at it on the screen. And he said, I'm sorry. It is cancer. You're right. My oncologist said, I have this slow-growing lymphoma, so it could have been developing for decades. You know, it could have been growing. And you think that it's uh, something like a trauma. You know, it's like something happened, but it may have been some combination of genetic and environmental, but it could have been things that happened decades previously, and it was just getting bigger and bigger. I knew from a really young age that there was something very different with my family. My nan had concave chest with basically skin and ribs. Um, I used to play with her prosthesis when I was really little and thought it was a bit of a cack. (laughs) But it wasn't until my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer at 36. And I can very vividly remember the moment when I heard wailing, crying, and my nan was cuddling my mum and she'd just been told that she had breast cancer. And that was just a really kind of vivid moment for me. And we went over to the other one who worries about everything. And her wedding was planned for October 24th of that year. So when I said something to her, she immediately said, we're canceling the wedding and we'll do a bedside service. And I said, we're not canceling. I am going to be there and I have three goals. I'm going to walk you down the aisle. We're going to do the father-daughter dance and I'm going to do the toast. So don't even think about anything else. I was the calmest one in my family because I knew what we had to do. I was optimistic that it was caught really early, that I had the best doctor. My sense when it comes to things like this is to be optimistic, not pessimistic, that that things were going to work out. But the family was a, a, a total basket case. One of the things I realized in the hospital is you go through a lot of miserable treatment and going through treatment is actually what I call almost a gamble, where you're saying, okay, I'm going to put my life on the line to go through this treatment that could kill me and give up the good days I have. At that point in time, my health was still relatively good. I had many good days. It's like taking all these good days, putting it on the table, rolling the dice to hope that by the time I get through this, I can win more days. My family didn't love it, but this was my choice of saying, you know what, 
I'm not convinced that this is the best thing for me. And so I chose to not. I got a lot of grief from my family and a lot of grief from other people, but this is my life, not theirs. A few months later, I quit smoking because I thought, okay, this is my wake up call. This is time for me to stop eating fast food all the time, maybe stop smoking and maybe just look after myself. So the doctors were right about one thing. You're going to feel like you're dying. They were correct on that. Anyway, after the three months I was in, add on another month fighting this infection. I took more antibiotics and medicines that you could ever dream of. The doctors were in the room and I thought I was asleep, but I wasn't. And I hear one of them say, he's not going to make it. Ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees. <gasps> Fortunately, I was at a level one trauma center and they were able to stabilize me. With that kind of toxicity, that was the end of, of, of being on the drug. 2018, I had my left foot amputated. 2019, the disease came back again in my shin and I had two more surgeries to remove it. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone, and subsequent testing found that my entire lower leg was full of cancer and that I had tumors in my lungs. In the middle of a global pandemic, I had my left leg amputated above the knee. I was like, no, I will not die. Uh, I think it's Wayne Dyer who said that. I will not die with my song still in me. I first had my year of chemotherapy. Every year I go for a checkup. My dermatologist would say, like, the miracle is there. It's like a miracle that I survived. What I was really struggling with was this stoma, which I named him Stu. I don't know why, but I just felt like he had this own personality and that it was a he, which is weird. Stoma is when you get a colostomy or an ileostomy, the stoma is the part of your intestines that's outside your body. It's supposed to look like a little sort of mini beefsteak tomato on the outside of your body. It just was easier for me to be like, Stu's really being an asshole today and like in the worst <laughs> way. The whole thing was so surreal that I just had to find these little ways to make light of it because it was so heavy. Stu was literally acting like a lava lamp. My intestines were falling out of my body from the inside out. There really isn't anything for afterwards. I don't think people realize just how much a cancer diagnosis impacts you. It's kind of like any type of loss or grief that it doesn't necessarily ever go away. You just get better at coping with it. And then at the end of the night, I take off my cap because I'd have this blue cap on and no one else is in the room with me. It's dark. It feels good to have my bald scalp revealed. And then I see this woman start staring into the windows. I'm like, what is this woman doing? Okay, go away, lady. This is not your room. And then she opens the door. I'm like, oh my gosh, really? And then she goes, Joy? She looks at me because she isn't even sure if it's me because now I'm bald. I don't have any hair. And I'm like, mom? I was on the living room floor in my parents' house trying to do yoga. And again, I was like, I just can't lay on my stomach. Like, this is really weird. I thought I was pregnant. I took a pregnancy test. It was negative. And the sensation just kept getting more prominent. Never had any pain or anything. It was just like a hardness or a fullness. That was one of the big things that I didn't realize. I never really thought much about cancer, as I said, because I expected I wouldn't have it and no one I knew had it. <laughs> but I just didn't realize what a slog it was. When you talk about chemo, your hair falls out and you're sick to your stomach. But I didn't realize how absolutely just all-encompassing, energy-sapping, 
I remember sitting on the couch one time thinking, I bet this is what it feels like right before you die. I definitely experienced denial during Elizabeth's time of her illness. I just couldn't let it in that she might die. But after holding your child who has died, you can't deny that anymore. In time, I went to acceptance. I will never know why she got so ill. I will never know why, because there's no answer for that. Going from patient to caregiver was an interesting transition because after having just gone through the concept of I don't have anyone to talk to, I went straight into my type A personality, making a list, making sure everything physically is taken care of. I kind of forgot the emotional part, like taking time to just sit and, I don't know, watch Hogan's Heroes, which is what he does every night, like taking time to just sit and do those things. There's a little bit of a story there where I could really go down the rabbit hole of bitterness and blame. And it was on my mind for a second, but I really just didn't have time for it. And I really kind of attribute my faith to that. Like somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this instead. And it became a fight to not get the toxic treatments because I had done everything right nine years ago. And somebody left some breast tissue in my underarm area that grew cancer. I think what's really hard for people is not knowing. And when you map out the steps of dying, it's helpful. It's not easy to hear, but it's, it's helpful. And the same thing with, with children. They will not usually engage with the actual phenomena of dying, but there's so many ways that they will tell you that they're ready to go. It's a real tightrope act, just like parenting. And I'm feeling frisky again. I'm getting a little hair on my head. And I go to kiss him on the couch, like a sexy kiss. And he pulls away and says, that's enough. And I was like, oh, I know I stopped and probably pulled away. I was like, oh, and then maybe a little bit of that conversation from the counseling came back to me. But I approached him the next evening and I said, you know, we've got to get back to where we were. We've really drifted and I really want to work on our marriage. And he's nodding his head as an understanding. And then he says, actually, I think I need to live alone. I felt like I should be having a good time. I felt like I was in a place that I generally would be happy, but I wasn't giving myself permission mm. to be happy yet. I can't be happy. So that's my daughter. Like I'm not there yet. And will I ever be? And then one night, one of our neighbors invited us over to their house and we're all having a beer and sitting around and talking and laughing. And my son and one of their neighbor's sons are, are back on the swing. And I hear the squeaking of the swing going back and forth and the laughter on the table. And the weather's perfect. It's one of those perfect moments. And, and I allowed myself to have joy again. And it's the first time that I remember having joy again. That moment will always be special. It's okay to be okay again. So in March of 2018, I had my first reconstruction surgery and it looked horrible. It was horrible. And, you know, I had a very radical mastectomy. They took the um, tissue out all the way up to my collarbone because my cancer was so high. So I'm very hollow. The implants, they look like hamburger buns. They were not in the right location. They were very uneven. They just didn't look good, didn't feel good. Nothing about them was good. I went to my doctor and I said, look, I just don't think that this is right. I think that this could be better. And he wasn't really the nicest guy. So he said to me, be happy you're alive. This is as good as it gets. He sent me downstairs for a blood test. And when I was sitting in the waiting room waiting for the blood test, I was all by myself in this giant hallway. That was when it really, that was when mortality really hit me. I said to myself, now I have to tell my husband and my parents that they're telling me that I'm going to die and they're not going to be ready to hear that. 
that whole conversation with my husband was difficult. The Zoom meeting that I had with my parents and my sister, complete with a PowerPoint presentation, mind you, was also very challenging. My friends and family, they were so taken aback and they were so morbid, so sad. I'm like, you all, had this been ignored, I probably would not be here with you right now. So I can joke about this because this is scary. The first time I was in the hospital, I guess I had so much fluid, like I couldn't breathe. A couple of my coworkers would come and see me and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Like they just look so sad. I'm like, guys, stop it. So in other words, I was trying to be there for them, trying to cheer them up even though it was me and it was not working. We are going to create a cut and we're gonna start from the inside of your eye and we're gonna cut all along your cheekbone down to your mouth and create this C-shaped scar on your face. And then we'll rearrange the skin in your face to cover up the hole in your nose. And I was like, so I'm gonna be disfigured voluntarily <laughs> for this non-threatening cancer, really? <laughs> and he was like, yep live every day like it's your last day. You never know what could happen tomorrow. You could be diagnosed with cancer out of nowhere, like happened with me. I mean, I'm doing well. I'm grateful for that. Don't take anything for granted. Whatever you want to do in life, do it as soon as you can. My first comment to the person that was making the arrangements, she refused to take any more calls from me because she thought I was threatening to her. I don't swear I don't cuss, I don't threaten, but I was upset that they called my wife instead of me. I said, I'm the patient, you call me. There was a little lack of respect, I think, for the person, and they just see you as a patient. It was very embarrassing what my chest looked like, because it was like yellow and brown, dead skin, and I took a picture of it, and I realized it wasn't changing, and I'm not going crazy, this is not changing. And I went to another plastic surgeon, and he's like, this is never going to heal. I was like, oh... So that's when I went to him and I said, this isn't going to heal. It's not healing. He goes, well, it looks better. I go, it doesn't look better. And when I said, I took a picture of it and I went to another plastic surgeon and they said, this is not going to heal. And he just like, I told you I would take care of this. We're going to take care of this and you've got to trust me. You know, people have said, aren't you afraid that if, you know, you have a recurrence, you're going to regret not doing those treatments then because they may have prevented that from happening. And I always say no, because I think if you can get to a place where you know that you have made the best decision that you could for yourself at that time with the information that you had, you can't ever really blame yourself or, I mean, you can be upset that it didn't turn out the way you wanted to, but I don't think I would ever regret or blame myself because I did the best I could at that time. And so far, so good. One of my favorite things to do at the end of each interview is to do what we call our Thriver Rapid Fire questions. They're just a way to get to know people outside of their cancer story. So here are some of the responses from the last 100 episodes. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach. Beach, for sure. Beach. 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 A hundred percent the beach. Beach, I'd have to say. Beach and mountains. 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 The mountains. Beach, although I've come to appreciate the desert. Desert. All three. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones. Beatles. 
Beatles, of course. Beatles. All oh, the Beatles. Best band ever. Beatles. Beatles all day. Beatles all the way. John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Beatles. My daughter is named Abby. Love. I love each one of them so much. Those are my three favorite groups, but I'd have to say Stones. Well, I'm going to have to go Rolling Stones on that one. Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. I'm a big fan of Rascal Flatts. I like the Beach Boys. Beach Boys. Beach Boys. Beach Boys. Beach Boys. Beach Boys. I dated one of the cousins of the Beach Boys, so I am a Beach Boys. I like them all. It was hard. It's hard to decide. It <laughs> depends on my mood. Can I can I choose talk radio? I don't really listen to music. I, I'm not really a music person. I listen to audiobooks and I listen to talk radio. So I'm going to go with NPR. What is one word that best describes you? Grace. Adventurous. Uh, tenacious. Energetic. Relentless. Miracles. Persistent. Clumsy. Charismatic. Wretch. Vivacious. Resilient. Unrelenting. Resilient. Energetic. Loyal. Princess. Passionate. Feisty. Catalyst. Inspirational. Optimistic. Persistent. Funny. Passionate. Joyful. Dedicated. Compassionate. Authentic. I'm happy. I love my life. Annoyingly persistent. I never take no for an answer. Definitely joyful. A lot of friends tell me that. They're like, you're so appropriately named. And I'm like, thank goodness my parents didn't name me disappointment. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Moment in time. Tiny Dancer by Elton John. Imagine by John Lennon. Called Wouldn't It Be Lovely. Only Girl in the World by Rihanna. Imagine. All You Need Is Love. Over the Rainbow. Forever and Ever, Amen. Randy Travis. Handel's Water Music. Promise by Jacket Age. It's going to be by the Eagles. Oh my gosh. Hallelujah. Let It Be by the Beatles. Wonderful World. Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Probably Good Riddance from Green Day. It's called G-Song by Terry Riley. I love Ed Sheeran, so something between Ed Sheeran songs. An LL Cool J song, I'm Bad. The last song I want to hear would be Every Grain of Sand by Bob Dylan. My kind of theme song right now is a Kenny Chesney song called Better Boat. Something peppy, something happy, and maybe something really, really long. Like, if it's the last thing I'm going to hear... Then let's, my daughter told me the other day that Taylor Swift has a song that's like 25 minutes long. I'll take that one just to push <laughs> off the, just to push, I get an extra 25 minutes. That's perfect. There are places I remember long ago, but I don't know what the rest of it is, but. Oh no, music is my life. That's impossible. I'm sorry. I can't answer. There's, there's <laughs> just too many. What is the last meal you want to eat? We're starting with a big bottle of champagne. Oh, I would say scallops. French fries. A good steak. New York City pizza. Margarita pizza. A good cheesecake. Homemade thin crust pizza. Steak and shake. Chicken biryani. Oh, definitely chocolate ice cream. Milk chocolate. Crab legs with filet mignon. 
big ice cream sundae with hot fudge and all the fixins. Lobster. I think some nice pasta or something like that. Traditional made from scratch, spanakopita. A really good bowl of cereal, like Cheerios, maybe Honey Nut Cheerios with banana in it. Since I knew I was going to die anyway, I would just eat all the comfort foods I couldn't have. (laughs) My lovely wife Susan's homemade pizza. Something completely not nutritious. (laughs) Bucatini pasta. Stone crabs. A burger. Lucky charms, but only the charm parts. (laughs) Uh, Peaches and corn on the cob. A small steak and some chicken wings. Something with gluten. Oh, me Uh, too. (laughs) Me too. My grandmother's oxtail stew and my mother-in-law's fried chicken and my husband's banana pudding. I would love to sit with a plate of shawarma, which is oftentimes made out of chicken or turkey, a nice Israeli salad and, and some hummus and some pitas. Ooh, can I have a buffet? That's so hard. I love food. Who is the last person or people you want to see? My children. My husband and my, my five children. My son. They told me I'd never have kids. Definitely be my wife and my family. It clearly is my family. Well, I love my husband, but probably my kids. I'd like to see my wife. Everyone. I want to see my friends and family. That's my wife. She's my soulmate. Uh, My husband and my children. My son and my family. Of course, I'd want my daughter to be there. This guy. My wife, for sure. My beautiful friends and partner that supported me through cancer. I mean, my kids, but to be honest with you, I would want to see my mother. My kids and grandkids and my best friend, Sheila. You never know. If my husband is still around, I wouldn't mind seeing him. But otherwise, a very nice, friendly nurse or doctor will do. I would say Oprah or Brene Brown. God. You know, there's this lady walking the earth who thinks she's my ex-wife. Her name is Rosa Colucci. If there was one, if the world was coming to an end and you could call on one person to save the world, you would call on her. She, she would be the super, super superhero. She'd be the last person I'd want to see. And what are the last words you will speak? I love you. 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 I love you all. Thank you all. Love you all. I want to tell her how much I love her. I would say to them, you are all a part of me. Enjoy yourself. The best is yet to come. Au revoir. No regrets. It was worth it. Don't think, just do it. God is good. No regrets. I'll see you soon. We made it. Oh, wow. And I never mowed a lawn. I've led a blessed life. I told you I was sick. You gave me joy that few people will ever know. You're going to make me cry. God, I hope I pleased you. I think I would speak them to God. And I think I would say, I hope I made you proud. It might be Psalm 91. And it ends with long life. I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. I hope that I'm a smart ass to the end. <laughs> and I'd like to walk out of it going deuces. Take me home. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the 100th episode of the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. And I want to thank all of our guests. Here we go. Thank you, Mark, Bailey, Parul, Wanda, Dr. Vasubhadan, Tony, Kelly, Justin, Bridget, Jojo, Carly, Laura, 
Dr. V, TJ, Grace, Randy, Vicki, Stephanie, Crystal, Joel, Dr. Fox, Gary, Stephen, Brad, Karen, Terry, Prav, Barbara, Carrie, Onyx, Kathy, Carla, Marcy, Bammy, Gloria, Helen, Joy, Jenny, Julia, Anissa, Anne-Marie, Keith, Jordan, and Robin, Faith, Ken, Carol, David, Wendy, Dean, Susan, Robin, Ira, Jen, Norma, Patricia, Carrie, Freddie, Liz, Tim, Ben, Randy, Rebecca, Jennifer, Kelly, Anna, Jody, Dr. Sauer, Robert, Dr. Vickers, Lauren, Liz, Dr. Lubin, Rachel, Tess, Jamie, Joel, Paul, Christine, Tall, RJ, Philip, Richard, Jay, Kim, Judy, Savio, Martha, Gregory, Matt, Joy, Dr. Effie, Patricia, Anne, Susan, Danny, Tamron, Thomas, Mark, Corey, and Chelsea. Thank you so much for being on the first 100 episodes. Thank you for sharing your stories. And just know that every time you share your story, you are helping someone. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories. 